exactly is your beef with Pacific Rim? It's, it's um, now your second walkthrough. So I know. Like, what, and like, I what? I just confirmed how much I hate it. <laughs> but why? Like, what do you hate about it? So I, I made notes because I was like, okay, I want to like make sure I, I I can articulate exactly why I hate it. I, it's for me, it's the characters are so bad that it makes it unenjoyable. Like the characters are just such terrible cardboard standups and the acting is so, so bad. The dialogue is horrible that like, Wait a minute. Hold I on. can't Hold tolerate on. like the, I couldn't, I quit. I, so I, I was yeah, waiting to get to the point where they finally go and attack the breach. And I'm like, you know, I can't take this anymore. I hate all of these people. <laughs> I quit. That is, that's absolutely absurd to me because it's like, uh, the the mad scientist is great. The just like slapstick, useless cardboard. The super cardboard. rich guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, Ron Perlman is great. Like, Ron Perlman's uh, good. I like him. He's weird. Ron Perlman's great. Uh, Idris Elba is okay. But that's the thing. I think that you you have this idea that everything has to be high art. Whereas like, I went into it expecting spectacle. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's what I got. Like, I got a spectacle of a movie. And I think that what happens, especially with Pacific Rim, is that a lot of people want to ascribe more to it than is necessary. Like, I think a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's like, especially uh -huh. when it came out, it got a lot of praise for like them not having the two main characters get together in a romantic sense. But and they like, did. That's also bullshit. <laughs> But well, well, no, they, they they didn't. They actually are just friends. But, but yeah, the, but he but treats like, her like this girlfriend basically through the whole thing. Like so, so I would push back on the idea that just because it's like um, supposed to be this comic sort of thing, that it it, it should that it gets away with having like shitty characters. Because like for example, my main complaint, like of yeah, the well, like I because I, I also don't remember hating the characters. Yeah, so I can like, oh, I can go through that because I I was thinking about each one as I was listening to them. The the protagonists, the two protagonists are these boring, hyper masculine white dudes who have literally no personality other than being two bros. And then when one of them dies in the first like five seconds, that you don't even care about him. Once one of them dies, the other guy they immediately skip five years and they're like, oh, now he's this hardened, grizzled guy, and he's like, you know, so so torn by what happened to him, even though his brother was on screen for two seconds. I can't tell him apart from the other three blonde white dudes that are that are the other main characters. So there's like the Australian guy, guy with the dog, the protagonist. They all look exactly the same. They're all like macho, you know, assholes. So like, I have no connection to any of the protagonists. And then the Japanese girl, like, um, I don't remember her name. She just exists for him to fawn over, basically. And for her to be like a foil to his like aggressiveness. So like, she, she that he, I, everything he says to her is like this avuncular, like avuncular, you know, like, oh, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Let me be the, the guy who, um, you know, is teaching you everything. And she's just like this empty vessel for his, his aspirations. Right, but he's, but he's, <laughs> but he's wrong. That's the thing. I know. It's like, it's like, it's two, it's like, how long is it? Two hours? It didn't even get to that point till like the last 15 minutes. <laughs> no, but like, okay, okay, hold on. I, I actually think that the movie oh. would have been better if it had focused on uh, the Japanese girl. Cause could yes. you imagine like, Agreed. like starting the movie with that scene with her with the shoe yeah, and that then, was the like, only good scene in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and like that, like that'd be that'd be a great way to start the yeah. movie and then follow her journey. And then I would have like, loved that. 
See, th- yes, exactly. But also, she is not a bad character at all. Like, she has very effective moments in the movie. I, and she's just such a terrible. She's like so I think, bad. <laughs> so, so I, I actually think that she she does a pretty she does a good job of like, you know, kind of shedding off like the the stereotypes of a female character. You know, it's like he wants to put her in that box and she rejects that pretty readily and consistently throughout the movie. The movie which, takes way too long to do that. Like, I remember I quit this time. Let's see what just be. Oh, when they were fighting in the water before going to the breach. Um, I don't remember how many minutes were left. But I was like, you know, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And even at that point, she's still just his like girl sidekick. I don't agree with that. And that's like I, an I just hour agree with that. 40 minutes in. <laughs> I, I don't agree with that at all. I think it's like, I think it's because the, um, the camera follows him. You expect him to be the protagonist. I don't necessarily take that approach when it comes to movies. Uh, she just doesn't say anything that, and she's basically like also this paternalist prop, like Idris Elba, whose dialogue is terrible. And I'm shocked that Idris could not save this movie. Like <laughs> his, his, the, the whole struggle between him and um, the protagonist is like, I guess their control over her to some degree, you know, like he won't let her be the, the co-pilot, like as if she has no volition of her own. And it's just like, I don't care about the two of them complaining. It's like the movie's male interactions can be summarized by the two random white dudes who I can't tell apart, punching each other over uh, the Japanese girl in that one scene. And I was just like, this is such crap. When I got to that scene. <laughs> See, I, I, I can't agree with you. I actually think that you do bring up a good point in in the character's agency. Yeah. Like, but at the same time, like, it ultimately is her who makes that decision to do that thing. So I don't think that yeah. argument necessarily has a lot of weight to it, you know? Like, I, if, if it were, you know, Idris Elba is the one who makes the decision for her or... But he allows her to become a pilot, remember? Like when when he when he says like, oh, who's gonna be your number two? Basically he like green lights it. Whereas before, if he said no, she wouldn't do it. Like <laughs> Well, I think that's because he is literally like the leader in that situation, so it has to go through him. Yeah. You know? But I mean like but- from the perspective of like the narrative, at the end of the day, he's the one allowing her, the paternalist, like fake dad. You know, I just, eh. and yeah, then, then I, I don't, I don't necessarily <sighs> see that as gatekeeping. I see that as yeah. like him, a, like her proving herself to him as a soldier, despite his paternal feelings. Mm-hmm. And, and, well, and then, okay. And then do we, because I can't connect to any of the characters, right? When I have 20 minutes of giant robots fist fighting, I'm super into that. Like, I think that's cool. But it's like, what's at stake for me? Nothing. Because I could care less if they die. In fact, I'm rooting on the aliens to kill them. See, <laughs> see that that is actually, I think, the main point that we're getting into. <laughs> yes. Why you hate it is that if you can't... And that's actually a very important point to keep in mind is that if you don't care about the people inside the giant robot, yes. you don't care about the giant robot. Exactly. Yeah, I just see it as excellent like you're 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 not there for the plot. You're there for the the fighting robot. Well, I could do that, right? But then it's like, why not just um, mute the thing, fast forward yeah. over all the talking, right, and just watch them fight? Which I would be okay with because it's incredible. Yeah, Chris, I don't I don't agree with that sentiment because it's like 
I don't watch Star the good Star Wars, by the way. I don't watch the good <laughs> Star Wars for the lightsaber fights and the the speed races and stuff like that. That's what the prequels ended up trying to do mm-hmm. is replacing. And that's why actually you see the difference between good characters and shallow characters. And obviously the prequel trilogy is like all spectacle, right? Like yeah. it is all set pieces. And, and again, I, I would imagine that the other sequel trilogy is very similar to that. I just haven't seen it. But I imagine that it was all big set pieces and action points and shit like that. 100% correct. But then why people look at the original trilogy so fondly is because the characters are so fucking strong. Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. Like, I, like when I watch, when I think of the animes that I like that involve giant robots, usually the character, um, you're rooting for them. Like, I'm thinking of, okay, so that video game, and it's, it's, it's story is pretty shitty to begin with. Um, it's uh, on PlayStation 1, and it's a mecha game. Oh, what's it called? There's a, there's a bunch of them. So yeah, Armored Core. Front Mission. It looked okay. really cool. Um, okay, Armored Core. No. Front Mission 3. No. Uh, Xenogears. It's similar uh, to that. But it's not that. Xenosaga? Is that what it's called? No. Hold on. It had two, there were two versions of like two, um, it was the main one, the sequel. It was incredible for PlayStation 2, PlayStation 1 graphics, rather. Dude, it's it's gotta be Xenogears. No, it's not Xenogears. I know it's not Xenogears because I knew the people who love that um, in my group. Uh, it's like a, it's a lesser known one. Basically, it's like 3D. You pilot like the kind of a, like a, a mech that looks like a Xenogear mech. Um, your character's name is Dingo, I think. Okay, that is a PlayStation 2 game, and that's Zone of the Enders 2. Oh, Zone yeah, of the Enders. Yeah, sorry, it is PlayStation. Is it PlayStation? Yeah, it's PlayStation 2. Yeah, yeah. So Zone of the Enders, like, that's one where it's like, okay, the story is shitty, but at least, like, I like the protagonist, and I was rooting for him to succeed, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like, in Pacific Rim, like, I am not rooting for the main character. I could care less about him. And I think it's just because the order of the scenes is messed up. Like, you're saying if they started with, with the Japanese girl, right? And that trauma, that's great. Or if they let us, if they let him suffer longer, because it's it's literally the first five minutes that his brother's killed. We don't know anything about the two of them. And then they skip five years. They don't even show that five-year period. Just like, five years have passed. Oh, and now we're going to recruit oh. you back. So the status quo is exactly the same as when we started. Other than so they what, blanket what, say They did build a wall, though. <laughs> yes, a pointless wall. That was the you stupidest know- concept of the whole thing. You know what might be more interesting is that if you show the generic white guy, if you show his suffering a little bit more, yeah. you know, like if you gave him a little bit more depth through, you know, like PTSD or the loss of his brother or like yes. conveying that in some way, I think that's, that that's actually, yeah, I think that that's actually a far more effective way to do it. Yeah. If you were, you know, and I think what it would have worked great, because I complained about, um, uh, I, forget, I keep calling her a Japanese girl. I'm sorry. I think her name's like Mako or something. I don't know. Yes. Um, it, 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 I actually was on the wiki looking that up right now because I'm like, no more of that. This. I mean, I don't. Real bad. I don't take. I don't take any um, blame for that. I blame Pacific Rim because she really is just the Japanese girl. She's like the one girl in the whole goddamn thing. So anyway, that aside. Hey, wait, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> yes, I know. In the background, there's like two other pilots that are women who get like a half a second of screen time. Okay, I'm and then thinking they were the specifically of the Russian. <laughs> yeah. The Russian one is the one that I remember right. the most. Do they even? Does she even much. have any dialogue? I don't. I don't think so. They don't I think it. it's in Russian, so you might not remember. <laughs> but my, my point is to your, which I think you're totally correct. Like, if for example they made him older, so like not as old as Idris Elba, 
give him like 10, 15 years. So he's got, he looks a little gray. Then he would have the right to be avuncular to her. And you'd have the distance of it maybe not being as sexual. Because it is absolutely sexual through the majority of the film. Like, that everything their interactions are. Like, especially that fight for the training or whatever. Maybe at the end, like, they change the, the course of that. But she's just, like, his prop for most of it, you know? That's actually that's actually a really interesting point. So you basically yeah. want a Last of Us, the, the yeah. whole thing, where it's, like, you want, like, a gray-ish. Yeah. Like, you want some, like, gray muzzle on the generic white guy. Exactly. And it's like, yeah, what if she okay. was a little girl? Like, that would be fucking awesome. Like, if what if she was actually still a little girl? But I think, well, I think isn't part of it like you have to have drift compatibility with someone. Oh, right. Yeah. So I think, I think that's too much of a difference. Maybe make her 16 then. So she just has enough, like, age to do it. And, like, make him, like, late 30s or something like that. Yeah, like, even, like, late 30s. Then at least you can't see them as a couple, you know? I I guess, I guess part of it, or or at least a very, you know, predatory couple. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like he's taking advantage of of her lack of knowledge it feels like even though i know he's not supposed to be but that's how it comes across you know right this is just slowly becoming more and more evangelion (laughs) yeah kind (laughs) of all right but at least now you understand like why i hate it (laughs) welcome to world build with us the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you our listeners you've just sat through the prologue to our mecha episode that we have going on today in our listener email this week we have an email from christopher who says love the new format however i almost stopped listening after chris said he liked bright possibly the best example of exactly how to botch all aspects of world building uh i completely agree by the way it's a bad movie and you should feel bad for liking it daniel redeemed the show by introducing veronica mars in the solar punk world Way to go, Daniel. He goes on to say, since Daniel has some irrational hate of Pacific Rim, I thought you guys could do a world of Kaiju versus Mecha or Mecha in general that would make good for a new setting. uh, Christopher goes on to say some other things, but we'll leave it that. Uh, Thank you very much for your continued love and support. Uh, And remember that if you want to send us an email prompting us to do some other kind of world building setting. You can always email us at worldbuildwithus at gmail.com or you can go ahead and shoot us a tweeter, twit, twit. Uh, it's what are those things called? Oh, it's a DM, right? On Twitter at Let's World Build. Now, today we are going to create our own mecha world, not necessarily mecha versus kaiju, in, in fact, I'd like to kind of explore what kind of a mecha genre we can get into here. But the overall gist of this episode is going to be mecha. And I am so excited because, man, you know what I fucking love? Giant robots. That's what I fucking love. So each of us are going to introduce three aspects of the world that are demonstrably true or, you know, a focus of the world in some way. So, Chris, why don't you go ahead and start us off with the first true fact about our mecha setting? Mine had to do with the interaction between the pilot and the mech itself. I wanted it to be a full integration uh, so that they had to slip into kind of a the sleeve of it. It becomes one thing, the nervous system and everything hooks up. And I wanted it to be degrading. So... Uh, 
the longer you pilot, the less you are in touch with your humanity. And I wanted that to be something that uh, would be explored in some sort of plot that uh, the longer the person fights in this thing, the less they have in touch with uh, their own humanity, their emotions, as it kind of slowly gets replaced by thinking like a robot. Oh, man, that brings yeah. up all sorts of interesting aspects to the world. Uh, first like, of all, that that sounds a little bit like Iron-Blooded Orphans, which is a Gundam uh, spinoff where it's like they still have to physically jack into the robots and stuff like that and have essentially bio implants in like embedded in them. And moreover, like what what's to stop an evil person or government from just having robots pilot or, or like humans stay in their, you know, mecha long enough where they become robots? Like, why isn't that easier for control purposes like what stops them from or, or is it a matter of a it's a brain death type thing Ooh, good point like do they want to retire someone because at one point what if they like if free will is still there and self-preservation does it become kind of like a rogue ai thing of where it's just like all right i need to only save myself i am now the mech so um why am i fighting for you guys again screw this i'm i'm just going to live on the moon i mean it might be a matter of since it's so dangerous to use the machine it might be a matter of there being external forces that are forcing people to say like well really i have to use this even though it's dangerous because of some other greater consequence yeah i i'm just imagining that like every villain that ever exists in this setting is just someone who stayed in the mech for too long, too long yeah yeah it, or or you know like there's that one guy who's like oh He's been in the mech for so long, and now he's started his own rogue faction of other similarly incredibly talented pilots. And oh, stuff indeed. Like that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. There's uh, like a lot of possibility because of the, the, the fact that you have to like suffer to use your tool means that there's something really high at stake that make, makes you have to do that, you know? I would, I would probably argue the best way to kind of control this thing is to force retirement for mech pilots. Like you only get, in a, I'm, I'm not sure if it's time or missions or whatever, but there should be like the government or, or whoever is in control of these mechs are like, hey, look, you have a hard time limit. You yeah. cannot do it after, you know, you're this age or you've been in for this many hours or whatever, whatever it may be, whatever arbitrary point. I think that that's probably a, a smart way to do it because then you can have that person who has free will who is like, all right, I'm going to put on the suit one more time, even though there's that risk of kind of assimilating into the AI. Do you remember Blade Runner 2, the the advanced Boinkov comp test that they had in that movie? So, I, I never saw Blade Runner 2 Electric Boogaloo. I, I, I just... <laughs> it's actually very good, where it was just like, yeah. man, you are so far off of baseline right now. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking would be a perfect test for that. You have 24 hours to get yourself back on page. Yeah, that was just so good. I could see that. Wait a minute. That, that's a much cooler idea is if we have something that is like you have hunters, you, you, you're hunting like mech pilots and stuff like that. Oh. That's a much cooler idea. Yeah, maybe they maybe they used to be used for some purpose. And because of the consequences and what it's created, now you've got to go hunt down the ones who have gone bad, you know? Okay. Now we can add in Blade Runner into our mecha series. I'm already a hundred percent fucking sold on this idea. Also like, on record, Blade Runner so Two, cool. greatest movie. 
one of the classics. I haven't seen. I I know I have to. I just haven't seen the new Blade Runner yet. I just yeah, okay. haven't gotten around to it. There's a lot of movies I haven't seen that I really need to. Like I have a list. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> also, I would like to say that this Splinter Group reminds me a lot of like a uh, Foxhound from Metal Gear and and everything, where a bunch of like soldiers or mech pilots come together and they're like, "This is wrong," is what's happening to us. But it's not so much like a common goal so much as they've just grown detached and see themselves as like a second branch of humanity. Mm, that's cool. I, I, yeah no I, I like that idea a lot like it's not so much that they consider themselves like superior just different and yeah. also like their needs I, I, again it's kind of similar to that of the replicants in mm -hmm. uh, Blade Runner I think that's a really apt comparison mm. yeah so look at that point one Chris you nice. fucking started us off with a fucking crackerjack of a, of a point and uh, mm -hmm. I, so I'm, I'm going to preface my my point with i i've actually given most of my points to be fairly generic or, or at least fairly vague like normally i try and do one at least one that's hyper specific but it because it's mecca because you can go in almost any direction with it i actually wanted to kind of keep it general and i know that's lame but i also have some interesting points that i want to point out my one one of which is i want politics to be a major focus in the setting itself i think the best mecca stories that are being told have a major focus on something political whether or not it be you know uh for example iron-blooded orphans has a focus on child soldiers you have something like uh, the clan system within Mech Warrior, which is all political, or you even have something like, um, oh God, uh, or or even Escaflone with its, you, you know, it's it's steeped in government bureaucracy and all sorts of we. Oh man, there's a lot going on in Escaflone. I mean, I'm sorry, in Evangelion. Yeah, there's there's a lot to it. So I wanted. Oh, or, 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 uh, one of my favorite mecha games of all time is front mission three and just watching the different political factions go to war, kind of pull the strings. That's one of the best parts in the, in the, the story in that game is so good. Uh, that that's one of the major things that I wanted to focus on. Yeah. One of the best things about that game is just watching that, you know, like, that political onion kind of like you cut into the layers of the political machinations of everything in that game. And it's just, it's so good. So I, again, fairly generic, I know, but I want politics to be a major point. I don't want it to be, you know, rock'em sock'em real steel robots. <laughs> I want it to be like, no, if those mechs are out there doing shit, mm -hmm. it means that there's a Senator or like some kind of a world leader who is pulling the strings, making sure that that shit happens. What I like about that is that it, it forces a thought about economic concerns, which I feel like a lot of fantasy and sci-fi um, tends to not deal with. Um, so they kind of like push it off to the side. But if there's a lot of political maneuvering, that means we've really got to think about, um, you know, international relations and what resources are available and what they're actually like fighting for. Going off of that, the other thing that I really like is that you now have conflict between the person who's behind the power and the person who's actually piloting the mech itself. Yeah. Like people I can be pawns, you know? 
Exactly. And I think that's a really important thing. And I think it says a lot about humanity in general, but also it's just important to realize like, hey, this is, you know, at the end of the day, the people in those suits are people who are soldiers oftentimes, and they aren't necessarily the ones who are in charge of their own fate, you know, that kind of thing. One of the reasons why I was attracted to Mech Warrior is all the um, mythology of the clans that's kind of mentioned um, in the background, at least in Mech Warrior 2. And so, like, it always got me thinking, like, oh, there's got to be a lot of political maneuvering behind all this that I'm not seeing. And I'm just, like, the one guy on the ground fighting the war that's put in place. And so it, it immediately gives the world a, a sense of, like, hugeness even though we didn't really know the specifics of all the maneuvering, you're just the dude on the ground executing the strategy. I like the fact that uh, part of the reasons that the world is the way that it is in MechWarrior is because there was the collapse of the Star League and one guy decided to go out and be like, hey, you know what? We're not going to be used as pawns right now. We're going to just go into the vastness of space. And that caused all of these things to just cascade where there, there's then mercenaries, people are fighting... And then when the clans come back, it's just like, oh, they're all really skilled and they have a lot more mechs than yeah. we are. Yeah. One, one of my favorite things about the Mech Warrior series as well is the code of chivalry that exists. Mm-hmm. I think that having some kind of a code of conduct, you know, I mean, similar to like the Geneva Convention, I guess, but this is more mech specific, is having this idea that, you know, like I'm you know, you can surrender and I will accept your surrender. You just have to get out of your mech and then we take it as, you know, like bounty essentially, or, you know, similar to how it was done back in, you know, medieval times, you'd essentially ransom off your equipment and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I, I think that that in particular, I know that it's taken directly from medieval times, but I think that that's such a clever way to ensure that you don't have to die or you don't have to lose very expensive and rare equipment all the time i think it's i think it's one of the best conceits of that setting for sure and it definitely fills the world with a sense of like um like a sense of a flavor too you know like because once you add like something like a chivalry code you know that like there's a certain way that a certain way that you're going to view interactions between factions you know it sets a tone which i like um rather than just being an all-out firefight you know where there's no rhyme or reason and there, and it adds a, it adds a sense of uh, you know like ax, uh, an axiomatic sense to it, where you're not going to go in and lose everything and get blown up and you know like or you you could but then you have a vendetta and like a clear uh, case against that faction the next time yeah. you go up against them because like hey look we live by this code of law for a goddamn reason mm-hmm. you know and like there's that sense to it as well, which I think is, I think is really fun. I think that you should, we should definitely have something similar to that as well. I was like, Chris's, um, you know, mad robots, like they could be the ones who maybe they're losing sight of that code of conduct too, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's actually, they had, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe part of what happens to those people once they've been piloting too long is they start to lose their sense of humanity yeah. And they stop seeing people as people and they're just like, oh, that's just a robot. There's nothing mm-hmm. in there, you know, so they they start to waver when it comes to following those laws. My second point was going to be related to the fact of what it means to be human. And here we have the mech pilots are slowly becoming less and less human and being detached from their humanity. And it kind of had to do with the fact of 
what I originally thought of as the antagonist, or at least as another group. I know that you don't like other races and everything, but in uh, Robotech, for some reason, I always just fell in love with the fact that there were these giant creatures that were wearing armor as opposed to being giant mechs. And my idea for it was that there would be this weird biomechanical-like race that was maybe left over from a progenitor race or something that they fought the wars for them and they've slowly evolved from a culture that is based on war that they never intended to have any culture other than that but they slowly gained i don't want to call it humanity but they started to gain compassion art and other things that they don't really understand because they were machines that were made for war and as they're becoming more in touch with their quote unquote sentience slash humanity they are fighting these things that are losing their humanity to fight them so i really like the juxtaposition that you have between you know you have the the people who are losing the humanity and you have this other sentient robot that is gaining some sense of humanity i suppose I, I'm just, I, you're right. I do have a, a problem with fantasy races because I don't see why we can't have something that isn't like, it doesn't have to be some kind of fantastical, you know, like, you know, mecha beast or anything like that. I, I'm, I, I'm, I, and I'm just curious as to what you would think of doing something like uh, this being a human made kind of like, this was the first round of, trying to get a pilot, you know, like maybe it's an AI that became sentient, you know, like I'm, I'm, so I'm going to ask you like, what do you like so much about a progenitor race of, of cre of creatures that are essentially giant bio robots? So they're, um, they're not the progenitor race themselves. I'm not sure if you ever played, uh, the endless I have series, uh, endless space. They have this race that I think they called the carvers or the cravers or something. And they were uh, hyper-evolved, cybernetic-looking insects. And they would just decimate planets like locusts because that's all they knew. And I like the idea of, like, a rogue servitor kind of something that went kind of off the rails of what it was originally designed to do. And it just got left to its own devices for a millennia or something. Oh, so kind of like they were, this was a species that had like a kind of a natural killer instinct and perhaps it had at some point interfaced with a species that was more humanistic. And so it went on a path of a different evolution becoming the method. Is that the idea? Like they yeah, ended yeah. up... Like I would also be fine with humanity of itself was just like, hey, uh, we know bioengineering. What if we made these insects pilot our uh, sh ships instead of humanity? This way we wouldn't have to use... Uh, mm -hmm people and have them kind of be left as burnt up husk and then they're like oh they have no care for humanity whatsoever from the get-go that was a bad idea it explains the trouble too like with the robot and the human in that it's the instinct of the machine i guess inherited from its creator that's inter interfering with humanity humanness of its pilot can we make this uh can we make this race of other beings essentially be the first colonizers of a far off, like they essentially humanity creates this AI or bio, you know, like it's a synth basically. Right. Mm -hmm. Can we have them make them specific for the specific design to, Hey, you're going to go off here 
in hyperspace and you're going to create colonies for us. And you're not supposed to have humanity. You're not supposed to have emotions. You're going to, you're simply a drone. And then maybe a lost colony happens. Maybe just enough time separated from, you know, humanity, you know, it, where they start to be like, Hey, we're our own race now. Like let's, I, I would like to try and focus on humans being the source of this. So in a sense, like... we sent them out to colonize world slash get them ready for us. And it just backfired a bit. I, I wouldn't even necessarily call it backfiring. It's more like, you know, like this is, they just so happen to evolve or develop in a, such a way that, okay, maybe it did backfire. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's like, Hey, we're, you know, it's like, we're, you know, you, you send out this particular synthetic race so far ahead to prep worlds for our arrival. And then by the time we get out there, you know, like, Hey, we're finally here guys. And they're like, Oh no, we've created our own civilization and we're not going to give it to you now. You know, so, something like that. I think that makes for a more interesting story because then it's our fault. And that juxtaposition between gaining and losing humanity is now uh, thematic in the battles and wars that they fight with one another because some are fighting to gain their humanity while others are fighting to lose it. You could even have a sympathy of people being just like, hey, we created this consciousness. We're responsible for it. And right now we're trying to wipe it out. Yeah, I could see that as being a major political talking point. I'm sure that there are factions who are willing to try and make peace with this race that we've created. And I'm sure that there is an equal amount of people who are like, no, we made them for this reason. We're going to take what is ours, you know, like a very colonialist type of, you know, way of approaching it. I have some questions. So, okay, if we're going down that route. So are the um, the, the colonists who went out there... Um, is it that the technology that they brought with them, that drone technology, um, eventually evolved and turned into the the mechs that we know, or is it that they themselves became their own species because of their symbiosis with the machines, or were they created as a, as an actual synthetic race, like a like a data sort of situation? I actually like the idea of uh, the data situation. Actually, mm -hmm. you know where we where humanity created them for a specific reason. They have served their function as, for the most part, mindless-ish drones. And then now that they're starting to gain sentience and want their independence, I feel like that's a great story to tell in and of itself. And I think that 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 should that could be a really great starting point. So they're synthetics. Okay. So if, so if they're synthetics, that's like my follow-up question for you guys would be, um, are they the only ones who know how to use the machines or is it possible for regular humans to use them and why now? Or is, is the madness caused when humans use it as opposed to the synthetic people? I'd like to have it. So it's basically the same machine. It's just how it affects one another. Yeah. Or, or how using that mecha changes the synthetic person compared to the human. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. I would be fine with, like, if this was a story arc, you could have it uh, that eventually the humans that go through this process can come out the other side. Mm -hmm. but like, no, is, there, is there advantages? Like, if a synthetic uses it, do 
you know, are they not affected by the the, mad, the madness causing stuff? Or maybe all the synthetics are mad, you know, and that's just how they are right now. <laughs> or maybe it comes down to being a question of what madness really is mm -hmm. and whether or not these people or the, the humans who are experiencing this kind of degradation of their humanity, whether or not it actually is humanity that they're losing or is it a matter of a, a perspective change? Like have they become like Vulcans or something? And so like we see them as not human in the same sense because they're lacking like emotion, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I imagine that th th there's a lot to that that we can really ask. So I think that's a really good question. Like if, if um, I guess like my, I just want to summarize. So like if um, the madness is caused in humans from using their technology that we perceive as madness, but they can use it without issue. But although they seem to have already lost their humanity, and that's why they can use it without issue. Is that that's what we're saying, right? Well, I, I was imagining that, you know, like there's a synthetic race that pilots these mecha. Mm -hmm. When the synthetic race pilots them, they are actually becoming more human. Oh, I know? see. And that, yeah, so it's it's like it's kind of like you so know, if you look at them as two extremes, the mecha is the one pulling them in in the middle essentially so so when humans use it though they they lose their humanity whereas when right. the synthetics use it they gain humanity what yeah. do you guys think about that idea i think that's a i think that's a really interesting conceit for a sci-fi plot what do you guys think i like it yeah i guess like the question i would ask next would be like why does the machine do that to people like why does it have an inver inverse reaction but i mean that's the thing we can explore right well i think chris's first point made it pretty clear that like your um when you because it requires full connectivity to like nervous system and everything like that it's it's like uh it's almost cybernetic tech right mm -hmm. where the human body is essentially acting as a cortex or like an ai so when humanity creates these synthetic creatures they are void of that and so when they are in this thing and they're forced to kind of feel things in a, in a robot suit maybe there are echoes of humans in the suit and they learn what those emotions and feelings are and oh, they're able to okay. they're able to kind of actually that might be an interesting thing where humans deposit themselves you know what could be their humanity and these synthetic creatures are there to absorb it i think i think my point can tie right into that actually go ahead um, because so the, you're you're suggesting that the machines themselves contain some spark of humanity in them that when applied to the synthetics gives them humanity when applied to humans maybe it causes a conflict and it like makes them crazier. Um, so the, the the actual thing I had written down was the technology um, the, the mecha technology is either from a distant future or distant past and it's not fully understood and there are specific people who are like these mecha sages slash scientists who are really reclusive, but really smart, and they're the only ones who know how to repair the machines. So I would I would think, given what we set up, maybe then it, the technology being from the quote-unquote distant past just means that it was created a long time ago prior to we, when we sent colonization out. So that must mean that we don't fully understand the man-machine interface, but we know how to use it. And we don't really fully understand why it was designed, um, like why it causes this, this, this effect on humans. We just know that it interfaces with some kind of intelligence in the machine and that's what causes it. And, but I do like the idea, like my favorite part of this is that um, you have to rely on these other people to really repair them. And they're not necessarily people that um, are friendly to outsiders. 
So it's not like, I, I, I want to avoid like a situation where you have like, um, you know, warehouses of these robots or factories where they can just be fixed and, and, and produce where it's, it's actually a, um, a, a very, fun, a very difficult talent to learn that takes a lifetime to understand how to repair maybe the neural connections in it and to make a machine whole, which would then make them extremely dangerous to get damaged in combat because you don't want to have to like, if you damage it too much, you're going to have to go away for a while and get them repaired. And it's a journey unto itself to get them fully repaired. That's, that's actually my second point as well, is that I really wanted these uh, mecha to be rare. And Mm -hmm. I think that by having it be a lost technology or at least a recovered technology that fits perfectly with my wants and desires surrounding this type of stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the idea of what is essentially like a faction in and of itself that is neutral in that they are essentially the keepers of these things, right? Where they are. Yeah. They're like, and, the, and they I, pass on the art of mecha working or something. Like they're the ones yeah. who know it, but they're not really, they're all they care about is the technology itself. Yes. And, and that's in, are they religious in that sense? Is yeah, I think of, so. Yeah. I think, I think um, like they, 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 maybe they believe that whatever process created them in the first place was tied to a religion from a long time ago. And they're willing to help like, factions that they may not agree with because all they care about is preserving the technology and the art. So my, my, I had a second half to Mecca should be relatively rare. And that half is actually, and they should not be called Mecca (laughs) Uh, because, because I always love when you have like zone of the enders, they're called orbital frames. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like in um, Zoids, obviously they're Gundam. Or their Vonzers in, you know, stuff like that, or Armored Cores. I don't Mecha is such a generic, yeah, Jaegers in yeah, Jaegers, Pacific yeah. Rim. So I think that if we're going to give them a religious bent, maybe we should call them relics, or, and, and this faction could be reliquaries or something. Oh, like I like that. reliquaries. That's cool. Yeah. 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 I was definitely seeing, like, you know, you take your battered mech to this distant world where there's this one guy who lives on it. It's totally inhospitable, but he has a lab. It's a hell of a journey to get to him. And then he may just say like, fuck off, you know, but if you can convince him to repair the mech because he sees, Oh wow, this is a super rare version. I haven't seen before. He'll do it. And now you're back in action, you know, that kind of thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I like that a lot. Now, now you have like a, because some, one of my favorite things in mecha fiction is not necessarily all of the the robot punching. It's the mm-hmm. stories in between. You know, yeah. the stuff where it's like, holy shit, we're so beaten up. You know, we just have to make it to this neck wave point to get to like, and then there's that like tension and there's that kind of excitement and adventure mm-hmm. in just getting there, knowing that you don't even necessarily have your most powerful weapon available and ready. Like what that is... is- it makes battles extremely dangerous. Like I, that's what I liked about Mech Warrior's Absolutely. strategy is that one hit could really destroy your mech. And so these these combats are super dangerous not only because you know that could happen, but also because like you may not be able to fix it after this. Like you may just be screwed. You know, you may not be able to get off the planet and find the repair person to fix it. Um, you know, and it just ups the level of danger. Yeah, I yes. believe in Mech Warrior. One of the other things was just some of the lost technology that you've kind of duct taped together. Like dropships were incredibly rare. Yeah, but, and, and so if you had one, you had an advantage because you could field more mechs. But mm-hmm. if you lost that dropship, it was just like, oh no, we just lost a fourth of our combat capabilities. 
Like, did you guys see um, the dark, the, you know, the dark tower series? Like, the, yes. Like, so like I'm, I the feeling I'm getting from what you guys are describing is like the way that the gunslinger um, culture operates, you know, that there's their journeymen, but they're also like chivalrous. And it's also like, very deadly the, the the lives they live like that i kind of like but i'm picturing you know instead of a horse you're on a mech you know and it's your sacred mech yeah there, oh man there is a lot that we're kind of putting all together now right this so imagine that mech. yes oh my god i love that yeah they, oh man this is okay this is really coming together this is fucking cool so one of the things that we've kind of implied here by the way is that there is now like the vastness of space that humanity has started to colonize. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's kind of something that's like a sub point, but I think that's also important as well. And this other synth like uh, species that's out there that may be like the kind of uh, mysterious faction alongside all the political maneuvering that's happening on earth and it's colonies, you know, we were talking a lot about how uh, there's there, we're building kind of a culture around the Mecca and its sacredness um, so I, maybe we should enshrine that. This is a point I had where um, entire an entire world, like so, I, and this is a big shift. So I don't know how we feel about this, but entire worlds it must be worlds because we've established it's interstellar might uh, revere or view as a hero an individual mech because I was uh, perceiving these individual mechs as having a tremendous amount of power, like um, you know you could devastate like an entire multiple cities, you know, so like Star Trek level power in the sense that these aren't just, since they're super rare, they're not just like, you're going to have a battle with 150 mechs. You'll have a battle with like three and three or four, and it's a devastating battle. So the idea is that there's entire, um, uh, the faction might be surrounding, propping up a single mech because of its rarity. Um, and and the, the, there might be cults that, that follow a, particular, a single mech. Um, or single relic, we should say. Uh, so, so because of their rarity. So that's not what Star Trek Discovery tells me. I've seen a <laughs> bunch of starship battles in Star Trek. How could you Discovery. watch Star Trek Discovery? I'm I, talking I, about how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the Enterprise, where a single phaser beam from it, or whatever you call it. Um, I forget what they're called. Single to, uh, a single, photon, for, a photon torpedo. I believe. Yeah, like a single blast could literally devastate a planet. Like that's the kind of power yeah. the Enterprise has. Well, I'm picturing not maybe not world destroying because that might be over the top, but the idea that like a single mech has the firepower to really devastate cities, like multiple cities. If we're gonna do this and we have these synthetic beings already, mm -hmm. why don't we have the the very important mech or sorry, the very important relic? Why don't we just have it be the the leader of the synthetic re rebellion? Ooh, yeah, that would be cool. So it's it's important and it's a hero to some, but mm -hmm. to humanity, probably to not so Dude. much. Yeah. yeah. So you can have like a split, you know, galaxy where there are the synthetics and then there's the humans. And then I just like the idea of blurring the line between who the, the good mm -hmm. air, air quotes faction is compared to, you know, like I, 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 one of my, one of my favorite things about another great non non Mecca, but still a great sci-fi anime is the legend of galactic heroes. And the question that they ask in that is fantastic. And it is, it is, is it better to have a corrupt democracy or is it better to have a benevolent dictatorship? <laughs> right. 
And the, the and this and the series explores that in every conceivable way, and it is one of the best anime around for that reason. I never heard, I've never seen that one before. It's it's one of those ones that everyone likes but no one watches <laughs> because it's like it's from like the eighties and it looks kind of dog shit and like no one is willing to go back that far, you know. But it's it's actually fantastic. Um, and it, and the the que- and the fact that they pull in and pull out so like the, the way that the camera moves right it's not like you're just focused on a general you're like okay here's the general here and then that general makes a decision and then the next episode is following the repercussions of that general's decision through another character on a planet that is that that it's happening on oh. it's it's actually fantastic it's very very good I check that one out you should you should i like that uh yeah no it's great uh it's it's really really good super good let's see it's so good uh let's see what else do we want to talk about so i i guess my point surrounding all that is is this now becoming a synthetic versus human type of story is that the story that we want to tell or do we want to have it be a little bit more complex where do we want to go with that concept I'm seeing it as what does it mean to be human? That's yes. That's one of the themes that I'd really like to stick to, mm-hmm. but is that, is the conflict really that important right now? Or is it maybe that's I, happened in the past? What do you I know? I want to push against that in terms of, I don't, I, cause like, I think there's too many stories that are synthetics versus humans. Like that's so like trite. So like a while the presence of the synthetics is fine. I think that they add a cool wrinkle. I don't think the primary conflict should be with them. I agree with that. I agree with that. So, so what that, that actually segues perfectly into my third point. And yes, motherfuckers, I did plan all of this ahead. I played <laughs> you. My, my third point is the main conflict in this setting should have humans behind it, or at least a human like intelligence. Yeah. So, so let's go ahead and figure out what the main conflict in the setting is going to be then. I, I, whatever it is, I agree. And I think it should have some deep political maneuvering involved. Like it should be an internal affair, you know, to humanity. All right. So let's, let's take this. So the synthetic thing that exists, right? Mm -hmm. Can we fast forward to the point past the conflict where the synthetic people and the humans are together living in relative harmony. And now it's a matter of humans and synth alliance. And that's kind of the political yeah, uh, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. like that's, it, it's kind of like we get past the trite part and get to the part where, you know, you know how a lot of stories tend to yada, 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 the end of their story, rather than, you know, actually go through with, oh, this would be way more difficult than you think it would be. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like creating Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let, let, so let's, let's start there. You know, like, let's start. So we have giant relics and we have this, synth human alliance and we have mm-hmm. galaxies worth of so what's the conflict going to be if it's not synthetic human and it and you know part of it is like humanity and everything like that what is going to that's the philosophical mm-hmm. like conflict is humanity or or what it means to be human right so what's the physical conflict that we're experiencing now I mean, we know that the mechs are world destroying too. Not world destroying, but devastating. So it's like even using them in war is, da- is like a big 
question. It's like dro- dropping nuclear weapons. Like, so whatever conflicts happen, they have to be either really important or not often. Or maybe they scale back the way they do the, the fighting. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with that. I think that uh, these things should be treated like nukes. You know, like mm-hmm. no one wants to, you really don't want to pull them out unless you have to. Yeah. Um, but what but what can we do that involves their consistent use? What would... Well, the colon- well, we can go back to colonization. So maybe maybe they haven't spanned whole galaxies yet. Maybe these alliances have been established, and we've we've created some stability with the synthetics and among our own faction, our own nations. But there's still active colonization happening. Maybe the mechs are used primarily in the effort of exploration and colonization, and they do get into skirmishes with each other. But the things they're facing out there are strange and weird and dangerous. Hmm. Like that's when you can bring in your kaiju. What right, about but w- right, but wouldn't that wouldn't the third point that I'm trying to make that the main conflict is between humans, like oh well, I mean, as you, in the sense of having them being frequently used. So, for example, say you have like two two factions that are politically vying over a new system to colonize, and acquiring the system is huge for faction A because it means they're going to have more political influence over the sector. So they send their mechs out to get to it before the other faction. So now they don't want to actually have open combat with the other mechs because that can be devastating. So they get out there and it's like a, a game of like cat and mouse of who can get to the waypoint first and take hope, take claim the space, claim the planet maybe. But on that planet, there happen to be like 7,000 ton kaiju that eat people, you know? So they also have to deal with that. So that way you can have stories where there's a lot of side stuff happening that's like use of the mechs so we get to see them being cool. But also like the main conflict is the political maneuvering. I, I like that. And especially if we can, it might, we can kind of do a mixture of nation states and corporations, mm-hmm. you know, like you get, you know, like there are going to be corporations who are like, we're not part of any governmental system, but we are in charge of these relics that we've acquired. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that is far more interesting than, you know, like, Hey, I don't like you. You don't like me. Let's punch it out in Mecca. <laughs> I think that, I think that the, the grab for resources is actually one of the smartest things that we can do here, Daniel. I think that's a really good point. Chris? Well, uh, one of the things that I was going to say that you could do is the fact that uh, if humanity had a fast expansion, maybe things are only starting to catch up where people can now get out there within a reasonable amount of time. So uh, there's all these kind of little republics that have formed and the centralized one wants to bring them to heal. And so there's this whole kind of classic Gundam bringing the colonies back into the fold. Oh, I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Cause now you have like a major superpower and then you have like various factions that are, might be rebels, might be aligned with it. It might be corporations taking advantage. Yeah. Right. And it could be yeah. like, Hey, you agreed to this, that you would, when you got it, just like, yeah, but that was my great, great grandfather's uh, exactly. name. And, and it's just like, yes, but that's how you were born. So, um, yeah, oh, that's a good conduct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm getting some strong senses of Legend of the Galactic Heroes again. So that's good. That's a really good thing. Um, well, I love that. I think that okay. that's a cool, like, it gives a lot of diversity yeah. to the whole weight setup. Yeah, that's that's okay. Now it's now it's starting to kind of come together. My point has been brought up already uh, with religion. 
you kind of did the opposite end of what I wanted to do. Originally, I had it that the synthetic race or anything has taken the first few commandments, as it were, that it, or commands that it was given, and have uh, internalized that as religious dogma. And part of the disconnect that they, or the disagreement they have with humanity is they don't see us as their true creator, and no amount of proof will really make them believe that. That's cool. I don't think that's in conflict at all. If I, really okay. at all. I, I, yeah. I was just like, maybe we're doing too much religion. No, because it makes sense no. that the synthetics would have a religion as well because we created them. Yeah. But they're just like, you're flawed. You can't be our creator. No, yeah. no, come on. We have your schematics right here. Shut up. No. And since people exactly. don't really know the past, you know, they can't prove it, you know. Right. I, I think that's a really smart way to do it as well. And not only that, but I mean, you have their shared religiosity towards the relics as well. So I think that that's, that's a really smart way to kind of incorporate that too. Yeah, I could see that. It also like lets you flesh out that, cause like you don't want the synthetics to be like every other synthetics race and every other sci-fi. Like I'm looking at you, Picard, my hated nemesis. You want, <laughs> you want them to be like, if, if I could make them like any other species, then that would be good. Like if they can be as, as complicated as the Romulans or as complicated as um, the Vulcans, you know, even though they're kind of one note too, like there's a lot of complexity in how their society functions. So if they have their own like religion, that's based on the original directives of humanity, which humanity has forgotten that's cool because now they can say to humanity, like, what are you even talking about? Like, we know what you believed in. And the people who made us, you know, were very different than you. So you can't possibly be the people who made us, you know, that kind of thing. Were the creators, you have fallen far from it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's like a great this. point. Like it. it must be very haughty, those, those, those people. And then, Religious of course, zealot the syn- robots. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, the synthetic race can also look in, and, and have conflict within their, you know, because no people are a monolith. Yeah, they can exactly. sit there and be like, I don't really care about the religious aspect. You know, like <laughs> they probably are. And, you know, th- there's all sorts of conflict that you can kind of mm-hmm. play around with there as well. Because you probably also have synthetics in crews in other factions who are like not part of the larger monoculture, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you have the neo-Orthodox ones who are just like, yeah, they are the creator, but we're actually worshiping their creator as well. Uh-huh. We're like, humans aren't that bad. I want to learn how to be more human. You got your data kind of character, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Or you can, and then eventually we can then create the the third god, you know? Mm. So it's, this is the synthetic god. This is the human god. And this is the synthesis between the two. It's the, the oh. perfect being between the two of them. Yeah. Get away from Mass Effect 3 ending. <laughs> I never played Mass Effect, so... Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, let's see if you accidentally do it. <laughs> Picard accidentally did it. By accidentally, I mean deliberately, because they're bankrupt. Creatively bankrupt. They yeah, had bankrupt. a they had, they had some effects on that. I saw it. Yeah, they had money. Was just for <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, Daniel, go ahead and take us home with your final point. This one, to, to a certain degree, we've also covered, uh, but I just want to give more more weight to it and emphasis. We established that the the relics are rare, but and we established that they're um, unique. But I want to say like they're very unique. Like they're not only are they the only commonality between them is that they have a man machine interface that causes um, Chris's um, 
uh, quote unquote like loss of humanity or gaining of humanity, like the dissonance effect, whatever you want to call it. So mm. that's the only commonality. But other than I that, I think we're they... calling it the dissonance effect. Yeah, that was good. That sounds really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so so other than the fact that they have a dissonance effect, you know, and that they are a shell for the pilot, um, they have different personalities. They have different power sources. They have different designs and materials because the schematic of the dissonance the schematic for the the mental connection is is the same unknown technology but over the years um these mechs have been built completely differently and that's why those 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 relic reliquaries out there are the only ones you can really turn to to understand your own technology because there's been so many artisans who followed the same idea in terms of building them but they use different methods so different completely different materials um, they rely on different power sources. So sim- that, like, that's the one thing I like about Pacific Rim is there's a lot of variety in the types of mechs um, that even like Mech Warrior doesn't have because at the end of the day, they're still like nuclear powered robots. So like I, I, what I'm looking for here is like not only <clears throat> are they totally alien to each other, but the interface when you interface them, they have different personalities too. So like there's a, there's identities you have when you're with the, with the relic. That's actually one of the points that I wanted to follow up on is they're individuals. Yeah. It's not they're, they're almost living in in that, you know, they each have their own name. And yeah. and what I actually like what you said before is, you know, they're not all just nuclear powered robots. Let's mm-hmm. make it so each different relic has a different power source. Not everyone yeah. individually, but let's make it so it's not just this is the same frame with mm-hmm. a different you know, weapon this time. Yeah, that's what I'm going for. Like, yeah, I would love a big O feel from that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We can do something like, oh, Big O is another great one. That's a good Oh, point. yeah, yeah. Big O is good. Yeah. Well, it, make, it makes sense because, you know, in the 15th century, you might have had nuclear technology. In the 700th century, you might have had like some other technology that nobody's ever heard of. It's a different energy source. Um, yeah. But because yeah. they're such rare machines, like that they're comparable in terms of what they're capable of doing. They were meant to be devastating machines, you know? Dimensional jump drive. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are starfighters. Some of them, you know, are bigger than others, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, going through MechWarrior, where they had, like, the ones that were bipedal, quadpedal, uh... Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones that were like the weird, uh, they could change between a tank and being a mech kind of yeah. thing. Have all of those. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, the other really interesting aspect that that brings up is that you could go to a reliquary and be like, hey, my neck, you know, my relic needs fixing. And they're like, oh, no, I don't deal with this type of relic. You're going to have to go. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> yeah. They're like, hey, the best I can it? do is give you a, a hoverboard. Like the only thing in common that I want reliquaries to have is that they understand the neural interface, but that's it. (laughs) I I actually think that there's some generic patchwork that they can do, but it's more like a, I have no idea what this is. You're going to have to go see this guy at this end of the galaxy. So I can patch this up, but you better not get into a fight. Otherwise you're really going to fuck this. I love that so much. You're going to have to drop like half a ton of armor. If you want me to put these legs on it. And that's your fighting style. I guess we can do this, but you're not going to like it. (laughs) Yeah. And imagine that you're losing like a signature weapon or ability Mm -hmm. just because it's like, I I just don't have the parts for this. I just don't know how to fix this thing. And so you're walking around with like, it's, it's kind of like, um, when when you see like uh, bootleg name brands, 
So it's not a Rolex, it's a Rolex. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I got I got this Rolex leg. I know it's not the real thing, but it's gonna got get it. you two systems over, you know? Yeah, it, it'll get you to where you need to be. Don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah. And there can well, be diversity among those guys too. Like you could have like corporate reliquaries who are less scrupulous, but they also like are are love to collect, you know, knowledge of the mechs too. Oh, they're more willing to give you the shitty cheap parts. Yes. So, yeah, for sure. That, that That's definitely a thing. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I love I love the diversity in the reliquaries already. That's cool. Um, well, gentlemen, I think we've got the basis for a pretty cool mecha setting. What do you think? Yeah. Down, All right. Down with it. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. All right. C- come listen next week when we figure out some more stuff about this cool ass mecha setting. And if you want to introduce or suggest your own cool ass setting, you can always email us at worldbuildwithus at gmail.com. Or you can go ahead and shoot us a tweet at let's world build. Follow us there too. That's cool. You don't have to, but you know, we, okay. we post some funny things every now and then. Uh, so until next time, remember that we love you very much. Remember that we love you very much and we're going to make it through. <laughs>